Today we're going to be concluding the third week of this little mini-series called Exponential. And we started out a couple of weeks ago by saying that one of the issues we have in life is that we like to think in terms of simple math. Addition and subtraction. Things are good or bad. We like these kind of plus and minus extremes, but that's not really how God thinks. God thinks in multiplication, that he can take the smallest things of life, the things that we think are useless or dead even, he can breathe life into them and actually multiply them. God doesn't use simple math, he uses multiplication, and that comes out in so many different ways, and suddenly things are exponentially beyond anything we could hope or imagine. We never thought, Rebecca and I, that we would end up here, and yet this is where God led us. When we were, when we were overseas, living in Spain and trying to learn Spanish, and the class was called Spanish for Foreigners, so just as if we didn't know, one of the things that actually helped us along the way was the support of people and churches here in the United States, both prayer support and financial support. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's important for our church to be connected to the wider world of what God is doing around the world. We're also going to talk about some of the local things later on. I want to start with a question. It's this. What if you knew then what you know now? What might be different What might be different in your life? What would you definitely do differently? What have you learned that you wish you had known way back when? Way back then. Some of you are thinking, when is then? Well, it's sometime back then. It's whenever the wisdom of now would have really come in handy then. You know what I mean. If we paid attention, I'm sure there's plenty of what was I thinking examples. When I look at old pictures of myself, what was I thinking that the side spike haircut was cool? It was not. Some of you have that same experience with excessive bangs way back when. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you thought that certain clothes were really cool. Today, not so much. If we knew what we know now, back then, we might have done things differently. If you knew in the 1980s how much a small investment in Apple would be worth now, what would you have done differently? Some of you maybe did do that. If you knew how big something was going to get, how much would you have invested, even at a small level, back then? If I knew that it had only taken a little investment, 25, sorry, 35 years ago, it's longer than I think already, maybe I wouldn't have done all that McDonald's back in my 20s. In fact, as I sit or as you sit with your cardiologist today, how would we eat differently then? Maybe I'd think twice about some of those choices I'd wonder, is chicken, fried steak, and Mountain Dew an actually, actually a balanced meal? No, it's not, even if it tastes good. 
If we knew back then what we know now, what would we have done differently? What do they say? Hindsight is 2020. Today we're going to look at a story Jesus tells in the Bible. And the thing is that we do have the benefit of what God has said in his word. The living, breathing word of God. The Bible. And with that, the future is just as clear as the past. Two weeks ago when we said that God thinks in multiplication, that he thinks exponentially, if we want to live an exponential life, then we must be open to see what is God already multiplying in you, in your life, in your family. And I don't always like using these types of words, but how will you leverage that or use that to make an impact? God is already at work. He's already able to do far more than you can ever hope or dream or think or imagine. We want to know where God is at work and then we want to move in those directions. Yet we can miss it if our vision instead becomes filled by what is temporary rather than focusing on what lasts, what is eternal. When the things of the world occupy our mind fully, and don't worry, they do, but when they occupy our mind so fully that there's room for nothing else, we end up missing some of the stuff that will really matter in the long term. It doesn't mean that we don't have struggles. It doesn't mean that we don't have bills to pay. It doesn't mean that you... Don't have rides to give to your kids. Yes, all of those things consume a lot of our time and thought and energy. But when it becomes all-consuming, it leaves little room to focus on the things that will really matter in the long run. Colossians 3 says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on what? Things above, not on earthly things. Set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. Those earthly things, they're always going to be there. They're going to take care of themselves. They are going to be on our minds. We have to actively work to set our minds on the things above. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Matthew chapter 25. And in there is a story. It's a short story that Jesus shares. We call them parables. In your Bible, the section might be called something like the parable of the talents or the parable of the bags of gold or bags of silver. The point is it's the parable about a whole bunch, a big old pile of money. And this parable is critically important for us. It illustrates why having an eternal focus is absolutely critical if you want to experience the life that God created you to truly live. It's a longer one, so I'm going to read the verses in short sections, starting in verse 14. This is how the story goes. Jesus says this, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. 
Then he went on his journey. I don't have bags of gold. I have Ziplocs of some random stones in my house. That'll have to do for today. He gives one of his servants a bag of gold or five bags of gold. He gives one of his servants a bag or two bags of gold. You get the idea. He gives the third servant one bag of gold. And he entrusts all that he has to them. And then it says he goes on his way. The original amount of this, it's not super important what the specific amount is. But the word talent just means a whole big old pile. And it was a unit of measurement or uh, for the currency of that day, and it could have been anywhere from 50 to like 130 pounds. So imagine it's a whole big old pile of gold that he's entrusting to them, like a million or a billion or a whole bunch of bars of gold. We actually get our word talent from it. So when you think about it, the currency of our day certainly is money. That's one form of currency. But it also includes things like our talents, our resources, our gifts, our skills, our special abilities, and even our time. All things that have great worth. In our day, all of these kinds of things are what the Master Jesus Christ entrusts to us. He gives them to us for a season, for a time to use. Before our service, I was talking with Hope. And uh, you were, we were talking about uh, kitchen utensils, implements in the kitchen. And you were telling the story about how when your house burned down and you lost everything and you realized it's just stuff for the most part. And yet then other people were able to give you generously out of the excess that they have to help reestablish you guys. You had to learn how to be very uh, open-handed. That's one of the terms we're going to use today. That it's just stuff in large part. In the story, the master gave to each of those three servants, it says, according to their ability. Not everyone has the same abilities. Let me continue in verse 16. It says this, The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. He doubled it. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. He doubled it as well. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and did what? Settled the accounts with them. When the master returned, he settled accounts with all three. We don't know how long the time was. It just says after a long time. So assume it's a long time. Verse 21, or verse 20. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. 
You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So that's servant one. Servant number two. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. How does the master reply? The same way as he does with the first one. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Another way of saying that is come and enjoy the joy that I bring. Exact same conversation Ultimately, the master is proud of how they have handled what he entrusted to them. But the one who received one, we see the story change suddenly. Verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Presumably he's been seeing what's happened with the first two servants. And he's hoping for the same result. But listen to the powerful language that the master responds with. It's language that we're not used to hearing very often. You wicked and lazy servant. And I'll stop there. Those are some very hard and heavy words to hear. Maybe you've heard hard or heavy words from someone you love before or someone you work with. These hard, heavy words that Jesus shares, this is how much it matters to God to be good stewards of all that he entrusts to us in this world. Now the biggest aha moment in this whole parable for me isn't actually in these verses. It's at the very beginning of chapter 25 where Jesus actually gives us the reason of why he tells this story in the first place. Verse 1 of Matthew 25 begins with, the kingdom of heaven will be like... dot, dot, dot. And if you remember the question we started out with, if we knew then what we know now, what might we do differently? I believe that Jesus is telling us that your life on earth can impact eternity. Not just for you, but for the people that you that are in your life as well. Your life on earth can impact eternity. Your life can have an exponential impact. If you show up for school on time, and you learn how to be a good steward. When we pay attention to why Jesus shares the story, we learn that God's economy operates on a completely different scale than ours. We start to see as God sees when we are paying attention. You said if we're paying attention earlier. When we pay attention, we start to see like God does. And it actually helps us live with more of an eternal focus. 
instead of always getting sidetracked and blindsided by the temporary. This leads to a couple things that I draw out from this particular parable. The first thing that we have to come to understand and accept is this. I put this on the back of your bulletin. God created and owns everything. He made everything. He owns everything. We've talked about this concept before, this idea that God is the owner and we are called to be stewards. Temporary. Who here has watched Lord of the Rings before? I know it's, I know it's over 20 years old now. What happens when a steward, the steward of the king, stays in power a little bit too long? They start to think that they are the king. And they are not. A steward is not the king and is not the owner. I've said that before, and yet I think it's easy for us to forget in the day-to-day of running and living life. Our human minds think and our mouths say, I've worked so hard for this. I've earned this. I've saved for this. I deserve this. And there might be an element of that that is true. But it's always secondary because we are not the primary owner. The Bible says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted whose property to them? His. His. It was always his, even when it was in the servant's hand. Even when the master went far away and was gone a long time, all that they had in their hands whether they were using it or burying it, wasn't theirs in the first place. I think that this mindset is more important for us than we sometimes allow it to be. God created us to be like him. In the very beginning of the Bible, it says we were created in God's image and likeness. That means that we are created not to be closed-fisted, but to be open-handed. Not to be hoarders, but to be givers. Ideally, if we were living up to how God created us, there wouldn't even be a need for that show. Hoarders. I've seen it. Maybe some of you have too. It's, it can be very horrible. We are created not to be stingy. There's a difference between stingy and frugal. But generous with all that he entrusts to us. The problem, however, is that if we begin with the opposite belief that what we have ours is ours to possess, then it becomes very hard to let go. Have you ever tried to pry something out of a child's hand that has grabbed something they want? It's pretty hard at first. Mine. 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 Yeah. The moment you begin to believe that everything belongs to God, however then a life of open-handedness becomes so much easier. And even more than that, it becomes actually joyful, a joyful way to live, open-handed before the Lord. This is a kind of mindset that I think will change the way that you think and the way that you operate and the way that we live and the choices and the decisions that we make when we think 
of ourselves not as owners but as stewards, what would we do differently with the resources we have, with the time we are given, with the relationships that we are building? This is one of the main reasons, not the only reason, but one of the main reasons, in addition to God actually commanding it, that our church tithes 10% on all of our giving. We give 10% of it willingly away. Yes, it's a spiritual discipline, and it took us about five years to work up so that we were being faithful in that, but it also helps us as a church be open-handed with what the Lord blesses us with collectively. We learn to give not just money, but we tithe of our time. Many of you serve in different ways. We give a portion of all that we have been given back in some way. Maybe your particular talents or skills that God has blessed you with. Open-handedness is actually a source of joy for us. Why? Because we are participating in the multiplication of God's kingdom when we live that way. That's part of living an exponential life. Seeing what God can do with what little we have. It will always blow our mind. I've never been disappointed, even if I've been a little fearful at times, when I've been giving to God. So it begins by accepting that reality that God owns everything. Secondly, and this might be scary for some of you, we will all give an account to God. In the story that Jesus shared, what did the master do when he returned? It says he settled accounts. We're not just talking from an economic standpoint when we pull back and we think in our day and situation. An account for whatever we did with what was entrusted to us. It might cause sweat to start forming on your brow a little bit when we think about that. Verse 19 says that the master returned and settled accounts. Later on, the Apostle Paul was thinking about this story and other stories when he shared with Christians who were living in Rome. And in Romans 14, he writes to these Christians. These are people who already believed in Jesus, far away in Rome, the center of the empire in that day. And look at verse 10. He writes this, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So yes, each of us will give an account and I remember growing up earlier in life and reading things like that and getting really scared and getting really worried. And here's the problem with some of that. We tend to see that word judgment and we have this picture in our mind or maybe you were taught a certain way earlier on. A picture of the final judgment where God is separating those who believe in his son from those who don't. But here, 
that's actually not the picture that we're supposed to draw. Because who is Paul writing this letter to? He's writing this to people who already believe. We tend to picture an angry God who's banging the gavel and declaring us guilty. But this is a different picture that is being painted right here. Paul is writing to encourage those who already believe, to motivate followers of Jesus to put what we know into practice. When it says the judgment seat in this particular verse, the word for seat is actually connected to the word which describes where officials used to sit and they would judge the original Olympics, those original, original races and games that people participated in, in ancient Greece. And at the end of the race, the judges would stand on this particular podium, this seat, and they would give out wreaths to the victors, to those who had run their race well. I believe perhaps here, that's a better picture for us to hold on to. A better picture of what this moment can look like when the master comes to settle accounts. You see, two out of the three of them had over, I guess, glowing reports from the master. We tend to fixate on the one that doesn't. For two of those three, when they stand before the judgment seat, they see God actually cheering them on. Come on, you got this. I've given you so much. Run with your whole heart. Don't give up. Keep going. We like to focus on the negative one. For those first two servants, I imagine the master on the edge of his seat so excited with what they have done and how they have stewarded all that he gave to them. And he says, well done. Let's go be joyful right now. If that is the picture that awaits, then how would it alter how we live today? When we accept that God owns everything and that we will give an account for what we have done and how we have handled what we have been given. And when we realize that God actually longs to reward us exponentially and eternally and say, well done, that's what God wants to do. Then it becomes obvious that God deeply cares that we act and live as faithful stewards in this world. That's what this parable, I think, is all about. It actually has very little to do with money. And some of you are thinking, yes, I want to live a life that matters in eternity and may even impact someone else's eternity. But you're wondering how. And again, I think this comes down to a transformed mindset. Transformed mind, transformed heart. To be faithful stewards... We're called to be more about kingdom investors rather than merely earthly spenders. Most of us are pretty good at the number two. Otherwise, we'd never have to have rummage sales or clean out our garages or other things like that. I know. I've been doing some of that. Kingdom investors, not simply earthly investors. Spenders. Spending is all about transaction. You give something to get something else. You trade one thing for another. Investing is about going in with an expectation of a return. 
at least sound or wise investing is. Investment in God's kingdom is similar. You go in with an expectation that God takes what is invested and multiplies it exponentially in unexpected, unimaginable ways. I've mentioned this before, actually, last fall, that we all have choices about how to spend or invest our time, our finances, our talents, our skills, our other resources. And I can't tell you exactly what it could or should look like in your life. That may be a further conversation on your knees in prayer between you and the Lord. I do know that it will require a certain amount of vision and imagination and dreaming if we want to aim our vision higher, set our sights higher on the things that matter most to God. When you start to see yourself as a kingdom investor, an investor in God's kingdom, that's a here and now thing, not just a future thing. It not only changes your outlook, but it can have an exponential impact on the world. An impact that you won't always see or even know about, but which can affect your eternity and the eternity of other people that you invest in. Two questions that I put at the very back bottom of your bulletin. What is God inviting you to see? Because when you see what God sees, that's where you want to be the center of God's will. How is God calling you to invest in his kingdom in 2024? It doesn't matter how much money you have, resources, any of those other things, God is calling each of us in many, many different ways to invest in the things that matter to him. Maybe it's your spiritual growth this year. Maybe it's a renewed commitment to your family. Maybe it's the people that are in need that you see or drive past every day or the people in your community. Or maybe it's all of the above. Jesus reveals to us that a life of faithful stewardship will impact us forever. And each of us has the opportunity to be the kind of people who are entrusted, ten-talent people. You know how they talk about five-star five star quarterbacks? No, we're ten-talent people. We have the opportunity to be that, to take whatever we are given and multiply it for the kingdom of God. Maximum eternal impact. You see, we're part of a movement of God in the world that is utterly exponential. And when we have the eyes to see and the heart to move, I know that God is on the edge of his seat looking at you, saying, and he wants to say those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You were entrusted with little. Now I entrust you with more. Come and share my joy. Church, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you choose and you want to use us to further your kingdom here in the world. Thank you for entrusting us with way more than we deserve. 
Will you help us to steward it all carefully and faithfully? Lord, help us to be honest about where our hearts and minds are right now. Because we do want to hear you speak those words of welcome and joy. So today I pray that your spirit, O God, would speak into our hearts, the hearts of your church, and prompt us in the specific ways that you want us to move towards you. The specific ways that you want us to invest in the things that matter to you. God, you are a good, good God. We thank you. We love you. We want to hear those words. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we go, receive this final word. Trust in the maker of all creation. Honor God with an enormous faith and extend yourselves in love for no one lives beyond the Spirit's reach. Go now in peace to love and serve God and one another. Amen and amen. Church, have a wonderful week. I'll see you next week.